Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, brought to you by the Wealthy Speaker School. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Hey, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Atkinson. Today, we are talking about shoring up your uncertainty tolerance. Love that term. Our special guest expert is Sarah Ross. Welcome, Sarah. Hi there. I'm so happy to have you here. You're known as a vitality and emotional intelligence expert, something I think that we all could use a good dose of right now. Talk about your business model in general. I feel like I always need to set the context when it's like, I'm an emotional intelligence expert. Okay. I am a work in progress expert, (laughs) just to be very clear. My husband, because we're all working remotely, is a room away and he'll be like, I don't know. I wonder. I would challenge your expertise right about now. It is so true. He called me this weekend and and, uh, we were talking about something. He's like, don't you teach this? And I was like, yes. So that, I always say, that is the thing that I study. I study part of it for myself so that I get better at these things, but I also, in the world of leadership, it's just, it's that prerequisite foundational piece. So I spend a lot of my time on stages doing keynotes. I spend a lot of time researching, and then I also do a lot of one-on-one coaching. Very good. Very good. And of course, we're uh, recording this on April the 6th, so we're about a month from when things kind of blew up in terms of all of the speeches just started to go away. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that came down in your business. And then I want to talk to you about this whole idea of uncertainty tolerance, because I want people to understand that you're living it right now. Oh, Com- completely. So it, it is so funny because I actually ended up posting something. I remember it, one, it was the second last keynote I did and there was rumblings of it. And mm-hmm. it was like, Hey, we have to be careful. And it was this funny thing that it was like, Oh, we'll elbow bump to really show people we are not shaking hands. Yeah. And it was three days later, I had left my last keynote and they had actually adjusted it already. So I knew things were happening. So it was like supposed to be to a big group of people. It ended up just being to the board. So I take off and I land and I hear as soon as we land in Toronto, I can hear all these people kind of gasping and making these breaths. And as soon as we landed, I looked and I saw that the NBA had been on hiatus. And, And it's so interesting because we all have like this is going to be one of those moments where this is the measurement stick. If it is. NBA it is. There's is shut be down. Then this is big. That's it. There's a before yeah. this and after this, and yeah. everybody has their moment when it became real. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, yeah, that's it. And I remember driving home that night and just thinking, like, okay, so everything that we had planned is going to change. Yeah. And and so, just, so how many engagements are we oh, talking about for you? Just I want people to really understand. Yeah, and I work um, together. So, so I'm pretty lucky in the sense that majority of them are looking like we are doing a reschedule, but I think mm-hmm. we're at about uh, 13 that have been off the table, and that and that takes us to like June. Right. Um, so that is a little probably funny. June, July, and August are in jeopardy right yeah. now as yeah. well. So right? we're holding on to some June things. It, it's it's one of those things. Personally, I always I'm a researcher at heart. I go to the brain science, and, and my next story will demonstrate this. I know that our brain struggles with loss. Like we mm-hmm. really hate loss. So my immediate response is to go to worst case scenario. 
and then anything that it's not, it, everything else that adds on to that is going to be gravy. So from my perspective, I'm in like worst, worst case scenario that we're not, you know, getting together and standing on stages till January. If you make peace weird. with that idea, yes, then if it happens sooner, gravy, then I think you're like, oh, okay. But making peace with the worst case scenario yep. is really not a bad thing yep. to do. And, and, you know, I always end up with living under a bridge, but <laughs> yeah. sometimes the worst case scenario for me, for sure. but uh, it's really not. It, 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 it's just that anything short of that feels like a win. So, it, well, it does. And with that being said, I was speaking to one of, um, one of the bureau agents who was just so wonderful. I loved his perspective because he was also so vulnerable. And he mm-hmm. said something that, that really was grounding for me. He said, we no longer have to think about what would worst case scenario be. This is it. This is it for this industry. Yeah. I mean, and, and even- this is worse. This is far worse than 9-11. And the effects are going to be far more far reaching. Talk about this. Absolutely. That uh, uncertainty tolerance. Yeah. This is something it's like, okay. a resili- it's like a resilience that we have to build up. Talk about that. It is. It is. So I'll tell you where um, it's actually a term that's used in healthcare and it's kind of promenaded or it came from from healthcare because with so many changes going on in healthcare, it's helping kind of the health practitioners get comfortable with not having all of the information and trying to make decisions. So where this really became life for me and what I am drawing on, because what I keep working with clients and, and talking about with people. So anybody who's talking to me is going to be like, I, Sarah just talked about this. Mm-hmm. There is an element to the fact that we have all been through hard things. We, everyone has been through hard things. Like I keep saying, we've been training for this. We just don't, we don't necessarily appreciate this. So for me, I can tell you that uh, in 2016, my mother passed away from, from cancer. And mm-hmm. so she'd had cancer. We thought we beat it. And, uh, and then it came back and, and I share this story because I remember when her diagnosis came back in, uh, cancer had, had invaded her liver and her bones and her lungs. And it was, you know, worst case scenario, but nobody could give us specific answers. And I became absolutely obsessed with trying to figure out how long she would be with us. Mm. And, and it's, and the reason I did this is because I felt like as soon as I had that piece of information, then we can make a decision. I could figure out like, do I was working at a, a leadership wanted, firm. Had you wanted your worst case scenario. Yes. yes. Yeah. I had a whole team, a whole division I was responsible for. So it was like, should I, when should I leave work? And uh, what's the best treatment options we should consider? I mean, there was all of these pieces that decisions need to be made. And so I obsessed for probably two or three, two weeks straight trying to figure it out. And the researcher and me, I went to research papers. I had ended up uh, reaching out, ha- sending all of her results over to John Hopkins and having uh, folks there look at it. I tapped into to doctors and specialists that I had worked with over my life. And I say all of that because it almost, it almost broke me. Like it, I was so overwhelmed with trying to have answers until there was that tipping point of somebody, it was a doctor that said, you're going to get a different answer from every single person. 
You will not know what's happening in the future, but don't miss the present because of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and anyone who's been through anything like that, that was a tipping point. And what ended up happening for me was it was just this, and I went into the data and the research, but it was, what if I stop fighting reality and it's a hard beast to tame, but what if I just accept what is going on? That doesn't mean we roll over. It doesn't mean that we give up. It's just, this is what is going on. And can I get more comfortable with not knowing the answers? Can I be more comfortable, which I became more comfortable mm-hmm. making decisions on the information that's available to me? And, and even now I think back and I'm, and I catch myself defaulting into that hindsight bias. Like we hindsight kicks our butt sometimes. Mm-hmm. We're like, I should have known this. I've heard lots of speakers talk like, I should have been preparing my business this way. I, I heard about COVID-19. I, I should have known. Like, nobody knows. No. Nobody knows what's in, in, what's in the future for us. Nobody had been through a pandemic before. And mm-hmm. we, we catch ourselves trying to, to then say we should have made certain decisions, but we can't. So the uncertainty tolerance is really, can you get comfortable knowing that you do not have all the answers? In fact, not even being able to put an end date on it and still know that you are going to make the decisions that you can the best way you can with the information that's available with you, that's available to you right now. And even if they aren't the right decisions, as cliche as it sounds, what do we take from that and learn from that? So, so, so many people, like I really, really started this business um, and really doing, you know, speaking, being the main thing that I do, I'm only in the second year of it. And so there's so many kind people who reached out. They're like, this must be terrible. I don't love it. I'm disappointed and I'm, and I'm sad and I'm missing mm-hmm. things. I, I, none of that. The loss. I, I feel the loss, mm-hmm. but I don't, but I know that I can sit in uncertainty. I know that I can. And the more people can do that. And, and I think I, I put it into an acronym because that's how my brain works. And, okay. and my philosophy is yeah. how do you lead your, th- yourself through that whenever you can, because people are responding and Jane, t- like, I know you've had to have seen this there our brain, our brains overwhelmed by this. And, and the brain science is when there is a massive disruption, when it's an emotional situation, our brains designed for emotions to get the upper hand. That's, that's everyone's brains. So no matter what and how strategic you are, everyone is feeling the emotional impact of this. For sure. All emotions are okay. The challenge is not all reactions are helpful. And so, I, I mean, I'm sure you, you've seen this. There are some people who are defaulting into the classic, just like deer and headlights freeze mode. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's, all, there's an inaction. There's just an overwhelm. Like, have you seen that from people? I've seen it for maybe two and three days on yep. the front end of it, curled up in a little ball and then poof. We, yeah. we've had people that we've coached through it and yes. whoop, they're up and now they're leading the charge and leading That's others. It. So That's it. it's like you're it, out of your ball and you're in yeah. action. <laughs> and, and the challenge, and the one thing I will say is that may cycle for people again. And then there's some people who are, um, I, I know that, um, I probably struggle with this a little bit. Sometimes one of these two, there's either that, that kind of 
trying to hold on to the old way. Like it's almost that denial of like, this won't be as bad as everybody thinks it's going to be like trying to hold on to the old stuff or, and it seems like this would be the best approach, but, but when we kind of, we jump into solution mode immediately and, and, but it's a little bit scattered. It's a little unfocused. It's like, do this. No, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it's, and it's this action or inaction on the front end. And uh, it felt a little, on focus, like you said. And, and our whole year this year was all about sticking with the plan. Exactly. So right now I'm hunkered down, trying to keep all the team in place and trying to stick with the plan in the way that makes the most logical and fiscal sense. So can we keep everybody on at the same pace that they were at? (laughs) Probably not. But can we just scale back everything just slightly and keep the momentum going forward? That's my goal. And my this will be good conversation that I will have had before my team meeting tomorrow morning. And I appreciate it. <laughs> now, did we get the acronym from you? What's the acronym? No. Okay. So LEAD is um, L-E-A-D. So uh-huh. it really means that it's our ability to shift into learning mode, which uh-huh. is nothing new. But again, the more we can be like, what can I learn from this? How can I reflect on this? And this is individual. Like you just, you just said it. I think a trap is when people get comparing themselves or like looking what everybody else is doing. Like some people, this is like go mode. Like why are those people surviving this just in such a beautiful way? When I'm over here struggling, it's so easy to get into the comparison mode. And I really think the learning, Sarah, has to be because I, I can just see this deluge of material coming at us right now. Yeah. Okay, learning, learning, learning is happening. Yeah. But I think we should be very intentional with our learning. And I actually think that this period mm-hmm. in time is okay. going to teach us something about ourselves. And a good line I heard was, how can I grow through this? That's right. it. Rather than how can I go through this? How can I grow through this? And I feel like that's at the heart of the learning. It's not just learn everything you can and take I it. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I already overloaded with that. We're only I, I think that is so, so on point. That actually some distilling of that and curating of what we're taking in is, is huge. But we all know that mindset of like being willing to learn something means also, okay, I'm going to be more open to feedback. And, and maybe somebody might challenge me on my business model. And am I willing to just hear them out and then take that in and make that, that decision? Yeah. And I think learning mode, the one thing I will, I will say, especially for those that are so used to being successful is when we're in learning mode, we're more apt to ask for help when we need help. Hmm. And I think for a lot of people, that is still a hard thing to do, especially in the world of experts and world of speaking, yeah. because people ask us to come and do that. And so sometimes to be like, I'm really struggling, like even the thing I'm teaching, yeah. I'm struggling to apply that. That, I mean, when we're in learning mode, it's easier, but that vulnerability, that humility, that displacing of, and I hate this word, but it's the only one to use, like getting our ego out of the way and, and, and then allowing people to help us also, because we're, you know, we're so used to helping that, that it's, you know, so I think that's a huge one. 
when we get together in our groups in our mastermind, I and I did this at our last live event where most of the people were there. I'm like, okay, everybody, let's take off the cake. Yeah, you don't have to be the superhero in this room. You can come and be exactly where you are and be vulnerable. And I think that um, who motivates the motivational speaker? (laughs) Even (laughs) the question, right? And that's uh, sometimes is us. That's I couldn't agree more. Even when you said take off the cape, and I don't consider myself like uh, you know saving things, but there is a visceral, like there's a visceral thing to say. Okay. it is okay to ask for help. It's okay to lean on one another. I had I had a friend say to me, and I'll finish this acronym, I promise, but she gave me this beautiful piece of feedback. And, and it just came over the weekend. She said, uh, she sent me a note after we had talked and she said, thank you. Thank you for letting me help you this time. Oh. Um, and and she had said, I wasn't, I, you, you don't, you don't always ask for help. And I wasn't sure how to help. Mm-hmm. And I work, I'm getting better at uncertainty tolerance. I sometimes have a hard time saying like, I, I need, I need help. And I'd reached out to this person because I knew that she could be a sounding board and she could challenge some of my perspectives that I needed. I needed yeah. challenge, but it really hit me that there's almost a, a, a disservice when like, I feel value in being able to help people. Mm-hmm. But I, I take that away from people if I don't give them the opportunity to do the same thing. So, and so it was a really important learning for me. And I feel like there's a strengthening in a relationship. And my, my logical brain would know that. But right. just to actually do that, I think was was really important. So that uh, learning means uh, different things for different people. I want to come back to identity in a second. Uh, I'm kidding. It, what, what's your E of your... Okay, so E is build on our experiences. So it goes right back to, we've all, like, right before this happened, everything we were talking about was innovation and disruption. So it's not like we're like, wow, we've never been disrupted before or changed. Like, we do know what this feels like. We've never been through this before. Yeah. But it's the same thing that one of the things that's grounding me right now is, is being okay with not having an end date not having those answers and making decisions based on what I have available to me. So we all have these experiences. And so to use a, the successes, but I still think there's value. Look at the times when things didn't turn out the way you want. Look at your year one of your speaking business. For some people, that was a really rough year getting through. It was difficult. And so you, you do have, and there's been bumps before. We had 9-11 in our industry. We had 2008 in our industry. And there are a lot of people who have been over these uh, speed bumps before. This one feels more like a mountain, yep. but we do have the capabilities to move yes. past. That's really good. Okay, so yep. E is for- So E, build on our experiences. Mm-hmm. A is, you're going to hear, it sounds, I've already talked about it. A is how do we ground ourselves in acceptance? And, and it's a word that people have a hard time with it. I'll say it again. It doesn't mean that you throw your hands up, but when your energy is going to fighting things like it, I wish it wasn't this way. If this just happened, if I'd done this in my business before, if I hadn't have done this in my business right before that is a so much energy goes into this and this is energy consuming. So it's that piece of this is what is happening. Now ground in that and use that to launch forward in. Okay, good. And what is the D? This one goes right to identity. This is how do we 
D is dimensions. How do we add dimensions onto our identity right now? Mm. So for so many of this, uh, there was, um, and it's been used, identity quake is a term that was coined by Doug Stone and Sheila Heen when they were, uh, when they wrote a book called Difficult Conversations. And it's this idea of like, when we get feedback, it like certain feedback's hard for us to hear. If we feel like it's where somebody's questioning our competence or our relationship is at risk, right? There's these things. But for all of us, I think for so many of us, and, and Jane, you and I talked about this, um, our identity gets built into what we do. Like I'm very conscious when to not say I am a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. I wow. really work on saying I do keynote talks. Like I do keynote speeches right. because, because when I'm a keynote speaker, I've actually heard a couple of keynote speakers say, well, I'm a keynote speaker who's pretty much unemployed right now. Ooh, that's and funny. then that's a scare. Like, and they're joking about it. Yeah. But when we tie our work and our worth in together, when what we do is who we are, then something like this can be overwhelming. And so, for me, one of the things that I have found that works is I've slight. I, I've taken this moment and recognized that a slight adjustment in my mission statement, like what I'm looking to help people with Mm -hmm. has helped me to be a better service. So even though I I kind of work on this world of vitality and helping people deal with leadership fatigue and, and tap into this sense of aliveness and energy, that is still a little bit over here for people. So similar to what you said, my goal is to help people recognize that we don't have to just get through this. We can be stronger because of this. And it's, it's so small, but I, I want people to come out of this with, with kind of wisdom and confidence versus cynicism and fear. Yeah. And, and those, I think those really, no one will come out of this neutral. That, that's the one thing. No one's coming out of this neutral. We will be stronger or we will feel smaller. Like there's one way or the other. So for me, it's just to kind of redefine, to be of service around that and, and expanding that identity of what it is that I'm doing right now. You know, I remember uh, Ryan Estes saying to me once that he really had to claim his identity. So he was a vice president of a company. Yeah. And then he had to claim his identity as a keynote speaker. Yep. But I was always encouraging all my clients to really see themselves as an expert and a problem yep. solver versus this one form of delivering your knowledge because yep. it's not that sh- for most speakers, I can say 95% of the speakers that I know, yep. that's not the only part of their business model. Exactly. You, you write, you, um, you, do books, you consult, you coach, you do webinars, you do all of these other things. And keynote speaking is just one part of that. And I think for those who are really struggling with your identity right now, think about what problem you really want to help solve. And Sarah, you just gave yours beautifully. Well, thank you. I think it's the problem you want to solve, the impact you want to have, Mm. and who you want to be through it. Oh, that's really good. That's a nice addition to, you know, being identified with whatever problem that you're helping to solve. Even when you're sitting next to someone on a plane, you know, think about it from that perspective. So I've never called, I've never really associated with being a coach. Yeah. 
Although, That's funny, myself either. Yeah, right? It's one of the ways that I distribute my knowledge, but I do, I write books and yep. so people on a plane might say, oh, what do you do? And I say, well, I help uh, people who speak for a living build the businesses of their dreams. And they're like, oh, how do you do that? Well, I am a coach and I write books and I have a podcast and I do all this stuff. And so I've never had my identity be one of a coach, even though it's a big chunk of my time every day. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's, I, that's why you're so wonderful at what you do because you can, you can share that with people, but there is something about when our success is tied up in the outcomes also. Like I, I know, um, like I, there was really fun, great momentum, like relationships that I had been building were creating this really great, this really great traction. And those relationships don't go anywhere. But I caught myself at one point um, where I, I get this like, hi, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but, but I get this, I'd be like, whoop, got booked, whoop, got booked. And I, and I, wow. and I caught myself and the way I said it is like, I got hooked to the book. Like it was that like, oh, great. I got booked. But then but what really got me was then I was doing something where I had multiple keynotes in, in one week. Um, I could feel myself kind of running on fumes, which I work very hard not to do. But I also caught myself the night before one of them working on the, the kind of customization, like the, the kind of market. And that's one of the things that I value. Like that is that a part of my identity is to be able to really tweak and hone in on the message that is relatable to the experiences that people are having. And so what I realized was this, this getting hooked on booking was Mm -hmm. actually getting in the way of the, of of the value that I offered. And so having that kind of multidimensional definition of what my identity is and kind of rewriting that script of it Mm -hmm. keeps me grounded and helps me figure out my red flags. Because like one of my big ones is how to travel in a way and work on the road in a way that I stay healthy. Yeah, like that's actually a if I'm running on fumes for too long, then I am not doing my job correctly. And you're not walking your talk either. Which right. <laughs> integrity, it turns out, is a pretty important thing. But no, but, like, but, <laughs> it, but that's but that's it. So all of these pieces are aligned, and I think that there's an opportunity for people to really. It doesn't mean this. I keep saying it this way. This isn't a do-over moment. This is a reset and do better moment. Like even when we come, as we are coming out of this we will not be the same. And and we have more control over what that is going to look like. And we have to, I mean, it's the cliche, control what you can control and and get better at identifying the things that that you can't and then decide how you're going to show up in in those situations. So I think identity right now for many people, they don't even realize that it has been dismantled, shaken up, disrupted. And that's a good place to get our grounding again. And and go back to why did we get into this business in the first place? And I exactly like what you said, like about the game of bookings, like, Ooh, I got another one. There's a little, like, which part that means I'm good. Yeah. You have to really break down and say to myself, say to yourself, which part about this process do I get the most jazzed about? And I think, 
really understanding how to lead a balanced life and not getting out of balance with getting hooked on the bookings is so good. Here's a um, quote from Dave Hollis that I reposted today. In the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. I love it. Good. It is. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things that's the do better. Like, so we do even it's amazing. There's, there are still lots of things coming our way. Um, I had somebody just say to me, Oh, such a great insight by this person. And they said, um, I complained about email all the time. And all of a sudden I'm not getting email and I feel like I, like, I feel like I, do, I, I am not being successful. And it's like that busyness, not even busyness, email, yeah. getting email was a, a kind of like a drug of your needed. Mm-hmm. And we are, I mean, if I can go on to the brain science forever, there is that, like that dopamine hook yeah. to so it's not only just it's tied to our, our worthiness, but that, that actual neurological exchange of worthiness and being chosen, like those are real things that equally have to be managed. And, and especially, I think that you're going to see from, from speakers, and I want people to expect this, we've been like, we went through this like up and down of this dopamine high, like it, I'm pretty good at keeping boundaries around news and different things that way. Cause I just, I get overwhelmed by it. Remember I said, I sometimes put my head in the sand. I'm like, I know it's bad. I don't need to tell it here at 14 times, but, um, but there is, there was this constant novelty that we were tapping into. So it's like, what's happening now? Oh my gosh, it got worse than I thought it was going to get. Like we actually have gotten hooked on that. And the brain wanted to, wants to be startled. Yes. Right. That novelty. And then we'll have this honeymoon stage where it's like, okay, we can do this. Um, And we can, but what's really natural is that this is grief. There is an element, a loss of what was to what is. And so there will be a down curve There is nothing wrong with that. We will feel that we will probably be less productive. Like we actually will have gone on a productivity spike. Yeah. And we might find that focus more challenging. Um, All the cute ways we are doing our Zoom meetings, all of a sudden when we're doing nine hours of Zoom meetings and the same annoying thing happens in the background noise. I have Canada geese in my backyard, which keep freaking me out because they're mating and they're very loud. But it's all of these these things that there'll be a little bit of a down, and then there's a back up. And but I believe that that really being okay to let some of those emotions come in yeah. is where some of the most important reflection will occur. And then we decide what are we rushing back to, and what do we want to be different on the other side of this? Because exactly. now we have the time to slow down and actually start putting those practices in place. We don't have, I think it's John Acoff who calls them the, the noble excuses. It's like, well, I can't because I'm so busy getting on planes. And it's like, oh, I do have time to exercise. I just don't like it's, exactly. no excuses. I, I'm I want people to recognize that they may be feeling low because they're not getting those regular hits of dopamine yes. they're used to. Right. That's right. not 
you know, we, how do we redefine this little bit of a roller coaster? And it's like, you build yourself back up and then you don't get the emails or whatever that you're used to. And you're, you're so used to those hits on a regular basis. I think it's really good. Now, um, I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about doing virtual presentations just because you're really good at them. You've had a lot of calls from people saying, hey, how do I adjust? Let's just talk about the adjustment (laughs) of the process if you were delivering a keynote virtually. We won't get into webinars and things like that because I think it's it's out there. It's being done a lot. Let's talk about what your adjustment would be if you were going to deliver a virtual keynote. Would you do it right where you are right now? Pardon me? doing this, by the way, visually. So if you're not tapping into the the YouTube video, check it out on our YouTube channel. We are are recording this video as well as audio. So first thing, I always think that it's important. um, So expectations are just such an important thing to Mm -hmm. set. Um, I have been, and I'll just say, I'm amazed how many different ways people talk about a virtual keynote, a webinar. Uh, somebody just asked me to do a virtual keynote and then they were like, okay, so for three hours and can we use breakout rooms? And then I was like, I'm totally open to this conversation. I want to be really clear. That isn't a keynote. That is not a virtual keynote. So it's even getting really clear on some of those, those things. We had a chance to do a webinar with, um, with Tim Matthey and uh, from speaking. Speaking. Yeah. Right. And so we were actually just even talking about we need to build a list of questions so that people can get on the same page really quickly. I know we can't even get on the same page about what to call it, Sarah. That's it. That's it. He doesn't like virtual. Somebody doesn't like remote. Somebody like this. Okay, whatever. Let's just call it something. That's it. And and there is a little bit of like, so weirdly, that's often just our emotional brain actually kind of pushing back on. Here's all the reasons why this isn't good. So let's get caught on the semantics. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We, that's, we, that's what we naturally do. That's so fun. whatever you want to call it, I, I do think the one thing that starts to change is, and this is important because I think that I don't think that all content translates the same way. Oh, good point. I really don't. And so I think that there is an opportunity. And this is where when you're not tied, when your worth and your work are not tangled up together, Mm -hmm. you can step back and say, okay, so what parts of this are going to translate in the most effective way? And I think when we are able to depersonalize that, talk to whether it's a direct client, a bureau partner, but to actually get into that, I think that's really, really important because even some some keynote people like how they move across the stage is a huge component on how they deliver their message right right so so I think there's a small part of and I believe this there's never ever been a better time to do things imperfectly Never. And it's, it's almost like, don't miss the opportunity because you can test right now. Because here's the thing, at, at least in Canada and the US primarily, um, you can't even just go to the store and go buy, you know, all this wonderful equipment. I went to go order something on Amazon. They're like a little bit longer of a delivery. And it's like May 4th. And I got a lot to do before May 4th. But I know they might surprise me and it might come earlier, but, but it means that we are being, everyone is doing stuff with what they have available to them and it doesn't need to be perfect. So the, the, I think there's a mental shift, especially for, 
professional speakers who's, who that is the primary component of their job when they are so used to being able to have a this art you know these 80 people who make it beautiful and can move across this gorgeous stage and everything is perfect I think we just really need to let go of perfection okay so I've got three points first you need to define it with your client what it what success looks like then you need to decide which parts of your programming actually belong your content may not translate And then you need to be okay with lacking perfection. Perfection. And I will say one, um, I think the other one that becomes really important is recognizing that, I mean, do you have to decide if you're just going to talk at a screen, but, but the pacing of what you do is different also. Right. Change up so, your thing. And, and if you're doing something that is interactive, be okay with dead air. Because it is. It you have really to wait for the, the comment box to populate. Exactly. So I think that that's something, I think if it's a straight up keynote, it's just you talking yep. thing, like you can't really pause and let them laugh. So what yep. do you do in that? That's situation? it. And so you have to, that's where, when you're used to drawing energy from the audience, like I think that's what a lot of speakers are missing right now. Yeah. You draw energy from the audience. The audience draws energy from one another. Right. Like there, there's a feel that starts to get created in an audience. Right. And, right. and there's that laughter and that energy that is so contagious. So I, I just put something up about this because like I will literally use a post-it note with a smiley face by my camera. Mm-hmm. But I do that because I just, you have got to believe in the message that you are sharing Yeah, and, and you, and really ground it in, in the value that you are offering. Yeah. I think you should laugh at your own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. Elle, I was watching Ellen this morning and she's just started doing her thing from home and Andy's outside of the actual house <laughs> on the other side of the glass. He can't see her because yeah, yeah. it's tinted, but That's she can see him. And he says, I don't know if this stuff is funny without the audience and the laughter. I can't tell. And I was thinking exactly the same thing is that she's, and I was thinking, well, Portia should laugh. Yeah. Her get some sort of acknowledgement that that was funny because yes. that's all she's doing. So yeah. all of these comedians in these late night people, they're figuring out yeah. how to do this right now. And you need to study them and see what some of the great are doing because- yeah. Um, but I think you definitely, okay, so tip number four is your pacing and your energy. Be aware of it. If you're doing something interactive, you have to pause and yes. allow them to participate yes. with you. I like having, if it's a par- if it's a participation type thing, I like having a sidekick so that me and my sidekick can have I was a just conversation say this. while the comments are populating because it takes so people true. time to comment. And in fact, um, that we can almost mimic some of the energy that gets created between people in an audience when we actually hear different parts of our brains are activated when we actually hear a conversation. So having those two voices can be incredibly powerful, but, but you might, that might mean that you are asking different questions and waiting. So a story gets paced differently. We, we practice for a stage, you practice for a screen. Yeah. You, you know, you can not the same. It's not the same at all. And please know that you cannot just come in and 
deliver exactly the same presentation expect yet the, the content can be good and that'll probably be something that you can rest on but you have to acknowledge that things are different it is have to respect the differences um sarah you might be able to find somewhere in toronto that you could say um who's open for business and go into a studio it, I'm actually already started it. Okay, uh, good. My friend really Young works for a studio, a production company yep. in Minnesota and Minneapolis, and they they evolved and shifted yep. like so fast and built a virtual studio. And anybody in Minnesota could actually just go there and and with their client, their co corporate client, and say, "Let's meet here." It's so and smart. I'm deliver it in a beautiful big studio. And I heard Alan Simmons talking about that as yep. well. Um, I started that those conversations already when because I'm staying home and yeah. I'm staying safe and I don't care how important the business is stay home first but there you go there's my plug but yes I think I, I started those conversations because there's the distinction if you're invited on to your cli a client's platform mm -hmm. then primarily it's probably going to be this but but I see an opportunity I don't anticipate like I said if it's better than this and sooner wonderful I, I'm not anticipating being with a group on a stage until January. What I see a great opportunity for is that there is production of virtual keynotes. Yes. That that so that they're speaking and slides can come in and they but so there's something really powerful there. But I think that the cool part is that it can stream at a time and then you can have like the speaker on and to do a bit of a, of a Q and a, because there's the distinction of what you will get in an, in a virtual setting that you cannot get in a live setting. Yeah. And this from experience, I, I can, I can guarantee number one. And I've said this a bunch of times in a virtual setting, every single person gets a front row seat. Mm, love that there's power in that. Yeah. Right? It, like it's not it, like just the, the audience on a level that you never could with 5,000 people there. That's it. And the second one is you can create intimacy with mm -hmm. a group so quickly this way, because uh, it's that same thing of even like a Q and a after, or when people it's like, imagine taking when people come up and stand in line to talk to you after they still might have their colleagues standing right beside them. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, I'm asking right. for a friend, but when yeah. you can then like I, my non-negotiable is I always have, I won't do something unless I have a host, like somebody who's managing. Yeah, that's your, your sidekick, your person on the ground. That's, it. that's really important. I that's think. it. But then, so even for zoom, WebEx, Adobe connect, there's your, you know, three of the main platforms, mm -hmm. you can post things anonymously so you can give people that space to ask those questions. And so then a speaker to really, really tap into answering questions on the content that they've shared that's relative specifically to your audience. That is a very hard thing to do unless it's like a, a, a chat on stage, but like that's a beautiful opportunity. I have been involved in things where, where the connection, the vulnerability and the intimacy is, is so much more heightened so much more quickly that the beautiful thing is I, I would suspect the majority of people who do this work we do this work to be of service in some way for people mm -hmm. to take this and so it's not the same experience but different doesn't mean wrong 
different means an opportunity to do something differently in the future. And that's an add on. I mean, and why not practice right now when we can be imperfect? So on the other side of this, we just have more options to connect with people and add value in a powerful way. Like I have a hard time seeing the downside to that. Beautiful. And I want to give a shout out to StreamYard, the most fun I've ever had doing a webinar was last Friday. Uh, We're doing every Friday in April. Chris West and I are doing a (laughs) Facebook live. Okay. So if you're, if you're wanting to do Facebook live, but you want to do it in a way that is um, really cool. Check out StreamYard where you can pull people who are commenting right into the stream with you. Chris, Chris's PowerPoint and our two faces. And then here's uh, Sarah from Facebook had this comment and Sarah's face is there and it's, oh my gosh, it's the most fun I've ever had on a webinar. So give a shout out to, to, I, that's, that is one of the things I am challenging myself to do is to do something like that. I ha- I've been hiding from social media. I am not anymore. There's enough people who get mad at me for it to do something, but, but it, like, there you go. There is another way to be interacting with people. I think that that is, really is the most interaction that, and I kept wondering, am I really distracting Chris from his thought? Cause I'm like whipping people onto the thing. I wanted everybody who was on there to be seen. And that was an engagement on a level that we had never had before. And it was the most fun. So check out StreamYard. We're going to put a link for y'all to save $10 into the show notes here so that you can, um, that you can uh, save a little bit of money on your first time out. I think it's really awesome. Sarah, I know we could talk for another hour (laughs) about virtual presentations, um, but I want to say thank you so much. You have given us so much food for thought here today. That, that makes Thank me happy. you so much. Welcome. Keep doing what you're doing. When I talked to you, um, we had a coaching call, I think it was last week. And I yeah. thought, oh, I just feel so good. Like knowing you're in this really nice place. And I know we're both kind of like, woo, absolutely with, with emotions and things like that. Um, but I just want to say thank you. I feel like you've come at this from this kind of brainy place that I really <laughs> needed to fill it, fill it up from. So thank you so much for being with us on the podcast here today. Absolutely. And I hope everybody remembers we are stronger than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. So that's Beautiful. my leading message. And thank you so much for having me, Jane. Beautiful. And so wealthy speakers. Hey, give us a shout out. Let us know if you've appreciated this episode. And with that, we will say, see you soon, wealthy speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed our show, you'll want to come and visit us at the Wealthy Speaker School, where we provide a proven roadmap for building your dream business. Go to WealthySpeakerSchool.com. And for show notes for today's podcast, head on over to SpeakerLauncher.com and click on podcast. I'll see you soon, Wealthy Speakers.